2, verses 18 to 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Uh, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God uh, made a woman from the man from the ribs he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves a father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Folks, do take a seat, and uh, we'll pray together just before we begin. Gracious Father, we pray that we would, uh, we would see you afresh this morning. We would see you, understand more of you, and more of ourselves, we pray. Amen. We're going to take a look at that uh, second part of Genesis chapter 2 um, in just a moment, carrying on, um, working our way through as we have been. Um, uh, there is a, a film, a big blockbuster movie that came out not too long ago, uh, well, a few years ago these days, actually, um, uh, which had a couple of particular characters. So this uh, movie here, one of Marvel's big efforts, uh, Avengers Endgame. But the two characters here, um, a guy called Clint, uh, a woman called Natasha, um, and I was chatting with somebody from Platt after the movie had come out and saying this is you, it's quite a rare depiction um, in this movie, these two um, uh, characters, something you don't often see. They have a, it's a, a woman and a man who have this um, partnership, this friendship, uh, a real respect for one another, and they kind of uh, join together. Um, uh, they work uh, together. They, they partner in this mission that they have. And my friend was, was saying, that you, you just don't see it very often. Two people who treat one another as equals um, and work together alongside one another in this way. Um, in these kind of movies, uh, it's not often that you get that kind of um, uh, kind of set of characters. I'll come back to them a bit later towards the end. Um, but the, the passage that we've got, this part of um, Genesis 2, depicts the man and the woman, uh, their relationship to each other and to God. And I imagine that we come to it with a whole truckload of questions uh, that we would love this passage to answer. Um, and often we can kind of sort of land on key details and think, okay, I want to know about this because I want this to answer my question. Um, I imagine the person sitting next to you may come with very different questions even than you have. Um, and what we're going to try and do is going to look at this um, uh, together. I, uh, we, we have to be prepared for it not to answer all of our questions that we have. Um, what I want to try and do is set it in its, uh, its setting, the story of these, these first two chapters, um, see what it is trying to tell us. Um, uh, as we thought about last week, Genesis chapter 2 has its own agenda in what it's trying to tell us. Um, uh, the way to th- help, I think helpful way to think about the two chapters that hold together are the idea of a satellite view and a street view. 
uh, if you've ever used uh, Google for those things. Chapter 1 is like the satellite view, um, a sort of big high-level view of creation and what happens. Um, and then chapter 2 takes us down to ground level and street view. Um, and on a smaller scale, the garden, uh, the Garden of Eden that we have, is like a scale model of the whole of creation. Now, in both of them, God is the actor. He's the one doing things, creating, commissioning. But what it means is if when you look at the two chapters together, chapter 2 replays the story and rhythms of chapter 1. And if I can illustrate it a bit like this, um, it does so using uh, kind of these movements. So chapter 1, you see creation from that kind of satellite view, big story, all of creation formed, uh, leading up to the creation of male and female, and then the commission that they have to go and fill the earth uh, together, to partner in that, to to fill the earth uh, and go out. Chapter 2 replays those rhythms but on a smaller scale. So God creates a garden, a particular place. Um, And in that, we see male and female are created. And then from there, they are to flow out of Eden into the rest of the world. We thought about that last week as Richard talked to us about the sense in which these on the horizon, the rivers that take us out of Eden, is the world that they are to go to, the blessing that they are to take out of that. And one of the most helpful things you can see, in a sense, is that the two chapters, they follow this similar pattern and rhythm, satellite view and street view, because it helps us orient how we read chapter 2 that we have here. Uh, there, there are lots of details that kind of fill out uh, about particularly how this, uh, this um, in chapter 1, we're told male and female, he created them. Um, chapter 2 fills out those details for us. Now, a couple of things I want to draw our attention to, first of all, um, and the first of those is that God as the actor in this, God as Father, um, uh, is often, I think, overlooked and the thing that we need to notice first of all. Have you ever wondered what God is doing in the opening part of this chapter? Um, Verses 18 to 25, uh, 20, um, if you're following it. um, The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord made, uh, formed out of the ground all the wild animals uh, and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. Um, Have you ever wondered what God is doing at that point? Um, He's he's created the man, he's put him in the garden, and is it as if he said, oh man, what a silly thing I am. I've not not sort of thought what we do with this man, now he's here. Um, I know, I'll try some animals, see if that works. I wonder if that's, do we sort of sense... Uh, what, the tone of what actually is being said here is that this is a father saying, I'm going to teach my children. I'm going to teach my children. We don't often consider this, that creation was good, but it wasn't complete. Creation was good, but it wasn't complete. There was lots that was still to be done. Uh, there was a, a, a lot of filling out uh, in the world that was meant to happen. Um, do, you remember, do you know after which day uh, in chapter 1 did God stop naming things? It was day 3. He names things up to day 3. He stops naming things after day 3. Why is that? Because there was a work that humanity was meant to do in filling out, in naming and going and doing and, and, and um, being in this world. There was lots that were still to do. And the garden then in this small scale picture, the garden is this place of, of learning actually a kindergarten. It's a place of learning and growth. And you can imagine God saying, I'm going to train my son. 
Now, if you've ever had any time with children, uh, either looked after them or your parents, you'll know there's a whole sort of phase you go through where you kind of point out animals and you say, what's this animal and what's that animal and what noise does that make and what noise does this make? And here he says, you know, you imagine he brings now Adam, you know, what is this? Lion. What is this? Giraffe. Excellent. You know, this, this, the sense in which he is teaching, um, it's a place of maturing and learning, like a school. Now, Richard actually talked about this last week. Here is a temple garden that God had made with a, a priest, and there was a learning curve as to what that looked like and what it looked like to operate and then to take that blessing out into the world. Creation was good, but it wasn't complete. And there's this expectation, there's this future horizon. And I think what we overlook in this passage often is the fatherhood of God in getting them ready for that. The fatherhood of God. Second, if God as father is the first thing we need to notice, the second thing is that they then are sons and daughters of God. They are sons and daughters of God, the man and the woman. And it means that the, the man and the woman both relate first to God as Father. And again, just to illustrate that this way, they, they relate first to God as Father. And actually, it's the basis for their equality, which is something we rightly prize in this day and age. But here it is, the basis for their equality is their relationship that they both have um, to their Father. Do you know, um, none of uh, 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 the, uh, at the time, we've talked about the ancient Near East context quite a bit. At the time... Uh, other sort of creation accounts or written accounts of the origins of the world, uh, the, in the neighbors that uh, Israel would have had, none of them have a separate account of the creation of the female. So it's quite a remarkable thing that we have here. Um, uh, we read, uh, second half of verse 20, For Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken of the man, and he brought her um, to the man. Um, God brings this woman into being. Um, uh, as, as father, he, he causes this deep sleep uh, for Adam. He takes... Now, I... I the, the, you'll see a footnote if you've got a Bible. There's a footnote with the translation. He took part of the man's side, which I think can be a more helpful way of looking at it, if only because if you're somebody who hears the word ribs and thinks of a barbecue, it's just not very helpful, is it? So he takes so his side, but he takes his side as a more helpful way in the sense that he creates, he creates the woman and then he brings her forward as he created the man from the dust of the earth and then brought him forward to the garden. And it's important because then the woman and the man then have this same position. Um, and just as he brings one forward, he brings uh, the other forward. And side, at least is helpful in the sense that she is similar to him, but different to him. The woman isn't a sidekick. Uh, she's not Robin to his Batman. But she is, the phrase in a sense is, like opposite. So similar yet different, like opposite to him. And his response to seeing her uh, in this process where he's been through with the animals and then he sees her, it is to burst out in a poem of praise. And it's as though he's saying, at last, like me, but not like me. She's like me, but not like me. 
The word the Bible has here, um, which is often focused on, is the word helper, uh, which is um, described. And again, given our uh, different, depending on where you're coming from culturally, you might hear that in different ways. In the Bible, the scriptures, it's used of God. It's a, it's a military um, uh, term, quite a strong term, typically a stronger one. Um, who saves or delivers from danger or death. So in one sense, the woman here delivers the man from the situation that he's in, his solitude. Um, And there's a phrase that's been used where uh, uh, the phrase necessary ally, which I find quite helpful personally, the sense in which they relate to one another as necessary allies, similar yet different. And it's important because then this isn't just about keeping him company. It's not just the sense that um, uh, he was on his own and he just would love somebody to be around because that would be nice. It's actually about partnering in the task that they have together. Those echoes of Genesis 1, he creates the male and female. They have a task, a mission to go out to. He creates them here and they're to partner in that. And God brings them together in this picture of this um, first marriage um, at the end here, verse 24. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they became one flesh. Now, just at that point, I'm aware, so I'm trying to set this in the context that it is here. You may have lots of questions, and you may have questions about, particularly how do you read and understand this in the light of uh, modern science, um, or maybe other questions as well along those lines. If I could just tee up something which is coming at the end of February, February the 27th, our evening um, extra that evening, um, uh, Rod Benson is going to be giving us a session thinking about how do we understand this in relation to things like um, modern science. So can I get you to sort of mentally think, if, if those are the questions you've got, great, come and bring those, um, and we'll look at that together February the 27th. Um, it'll be a great place to um, try and pull some of those apart. For now, here in its setting that we've been looking at and trying to place it in that story, I think Genesis 2 gives us a, a vision for a couple of things for us to reflect on and ponder. But the first of them is Partnership. Partnership, the male and female who partner in this work together. See, this fits the pattern of everything that we've seen in Genesis 1 and 2 so far. Um, It fits the pattern that we've seen. Just There's there's really very little in Genesis 1 or 2 um, that is complete on its own. Just about everything you read, every phenomenon that's created, everything that's, that's there needs something to complete it. So uh, the sea uh, needs the, the fish to go in them. The sky uh, needs the birds uh, to fill it. The land needs the plants and the animals. Everything has something which corresponds and completes it. Uh, work and rest, day and night, so on. You can go through Genesis 1, 1 and 2 and you can tease out. Everything has its, its appropriate completion. And so it means here when you see that the, the equality that we've seen comes from them being both children of God in the context, and that's the context for their partnership together. They're both made by him, their father, and they're brought together in partnership. And the sexed nature of them matters. The femaleness and the maleness are both necessary for this filling and subduing partnership mission that they have. So it means that the man isn't just a, a kind of sexless being. He's created, Adam is created male. And then, correspondingly, the woman is created female. The woman isn't uh, some inferior creature. 
Male and female correspond. They're both needed. They're both equally needed. And at the same time, there aren't um, stereotypes of, of character traits. Because one, one of the challenges we have is we come to this with whatever our cultural kind of background is. It's very hard not to read this and to, to kind of go looking for things, thinking, well, what does this mean men and women are like? There aren't stereotypes of character traits here, although we can hear it in, the, in those terms. For example, often it will be said, well, this is where you see men are, are more scientific because Adam names the animals. But no one says men are poets because Adam writes the first love poem. We're not given uh, stereotypical character traits. Uh, They're not sort of timeless um, uh, characteristics that we can attach to them. Rather, there is this indication that both men and women are equally needed for the task of filling and subduing and spreading out over the earth. It gives us a vision for partnership, for male and female partnering in this work, and it gives us, second, a vision for society and the way in which sexed human beings are needed and go together. And I think this is particularly key for us if you come from a Western um, cultural background where marriage in particular has become the sort of be-all and end-all of society. Uh, marriage is, uh, uh, in many ways, has become a sort of idol, a sort of uh, a, a pinnacle of all, of all life. So yes, marriage and procreation is part of um, what happens here and, and the part of the story here, but it's not limited to that. I want to read just from chapter 5, um, a couple of pages over, um, if you happen to have it with you. Chapter 5, the, the opening couple of verses, where the same... Uh, sort of pattern um, uh, unfolds, uh, the same sort of language as I read it to you. If you haven't got it, I'll, I'll show you here. It says, this is the account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. He named them mankind uh, when they were created. And it says, Adam lived and he had a son in his own likeness. So that sort of carries on that pattern in his own image. He names him Seth, and after Seth was born, we're told he had other sons and daughters. Now, what is happening is you're starting to see the movement out of the garden and the creation of society modeled on this same pattern that we've had before, and it's not limited to male and female as married relationships. So once they grow as a household, it immediately starts to create other male-female relationships, mother and son father and daughter, brother, sister, aunt, nephew. You know, you can go on and, and name them. It creates a whole new set of relationships where I need to know what, where, what my maleness brings to those relationships, where a woman needs to know what her femaleness brings to those relationships. And society is being formed, and the, the Bible gives us this sort of sense and picture of what, what is coming and that male and female are integral to that. Now, I'm aware that in the West, we've made so much of life about the kind of the married couple and them alone, the sort of closed-off nuclear couple. I'm aware it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. We've made it that kind of world, whereas actually the vision that the Bible has is for a society of male and female relationships which operate at a whole series of levels. We have multiple identities, Uh, that we have and that we need. I am 
a father, I am a son, I am a brother, I'm an uncle, uh, a godparent, whatever it might be. There's a whole series of relationships that we have and that the Bible is portraying that male and femaleness work in partnership together. Um, the, the movie I put at the front, um, uh, Marvel did quite a bold thing with their characters because these two, uh, Clint and Natasha, the, the, the relationship that they have that's portrayed in them, it's not a romantic one. Uh, in so much of uh, movies that you might see, this kind of um, uh, friendship partnership will always be charged with some sense in which it's going to be a romantic relationship because the way we sort of we, we anchor around that. But actually it's not here. It's a partnership. It's one of mutual respect. It's one in which they work together in the mission that they have. And in many ways, so I was chatting with the friends uh, about it, it's not something you see very often. And it was quite a bold move in lots of ways. But can you see it goes, it actually, it goes right back, before, way before it was in the mind of Marvel. If you go all the way back, it was in the mind of God's. This coming together of male and female in the partnership and the mission that he had for his world.